Today I want to uh, share a message with you, Start not starting into a new series or anything like that, but today's message is entitled Fan the Flame, uh, rejoicing with what God did last weekend. It was a beautiful weekend with uh, Brother Jesse Duplantis being with us, and we rejoiced in all that God was able to accomplish. It also means that we're headed into the holidays now that we're in November. In case you didn't know, there's only 18 days until Thanksgiving. 19 days until Black Friday, where we rush out and buy a whole bunch of more stuff to be thankful for next year. 50 days until Christmas, 56, until New Year's, where we're going to set all kinds of new resolutions to lose all the weight we're going to gain over the holidays. Amen? It's kind of the way it works in this American cycle, you know what I'm saying? But the one thing that we do know for sure is that time is moving on, isn't it? Oh, it's so moving so fast. Uh, one of my favorite quotes in all of my life simply says, the days they drag on, but the years they fly by. I have found that to be more true in my life uh, of late than ever before, just trusting God that he's working all things together for good, seeing how it all pans out, wondering how in the world we're going to get through it all, but knowing he's going to make it happen. Uh, it's also pretty amazing how fast things change as society, isn't it? It's kind of crazy the way all of that works. Historically speaking, things progressed on a pretty uh, steady pace until the advent of computer technology. For instance, how many of you have ever heard of the Industrial Age? Fairly modern history. Okay. How many of you know there's been more than one Industrial Age in our lifetime? Maybe not in our lifetime, but in our history. In fact, there are four of them. The first industrial age began uh, in 1784, lasting roughly 90 years. In that industrial age, it brought us things like the railroad, mechanical production, and steam power. Thank goodness we don't have to have our cars run down the road on steam power. Though I'm sure in some of our cars, there's plenty enough hot air to have made it work. The second industrial revolution began in 1870, lasting 99 years. It gave us mass production, the advent of the assembly line, and electrical power. Thank goodness that one came because we have lights to run, we have uh, electricity run projectors, and everything else that we've got. The third one began in 1969 and lasted 31 short years. And in it, it gave us automated production, computers, and electronics. The fourth industrial revolution began in 2000, and it continues underway today. It has produced artificial intelligence, big data, robotics, and much more that's still unfolding before our very eyes. The unique thing is when kids go to college now, if they're entering into any kind of technology training program, basically what the professors are telling them is these books were written that we're studying before the technology that you're going to use. And if they wrote a new book for us to use today, it'll be obsolete by the time you graduate and can put it into use. It's pretty amazing how fast everything is flying by. According to the, quote, knowledge doubling curve that was created by Buckminster Fuller, not Buckminster from your kid's Ice Age movie, not Bucky, but Buckminster Fuller, he said that until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. 
That means if your husband was as dumb as rocks in 25 years, he'd be twice as smart, okay? I thought there'd be a lot more amens from the ladies on that one, but that's okay. Today, things are not as simple as they were to, to make that work because different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. For example, nanotechnology, the stuff that works our computers, our phones, all that kind of stuff, it's doubling every two years, while clinical knowledge is doubling every 18 months. But on average, human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. The things that we're able to know, in other words, Encyclopedia Britannica, if you still have one of those, it's quite a ways out of date. They don't even make them anymore. What IBM now tells us with what's called the Internet of Things, okay, it's all of your connected devices. For instance, these TVs that are out here on the side are connected devices. They can connect wirelessly to the internet, and we can tell them to plug into all kinds of streaming services that are out there and watch um, various TV shows or anything like that because they're connected devices. So the internet of things. How many of you have seen the commercials for the refrigerators that are connected to the internet and can remind you, you need to order this and that? Or the Alexa commercials where you can drop and spill all the milk and say, Alexa, order more milk. It's pretty ridiculous the things that it's able to do. But because of all of this, what IBM says is that through the Internet of Things, the doubling of knowledge will begin to occur every 12 hours. It's amazing at how the world is spinning faster and faster and changing faster and faster and faster. And yet, that doesn't just apply to all of the things in life, it applies to the spread of the gospel. Did you know that they estimate now that by the year 2050, that there will be 3.4 billion Christians in the world. That's great news. 3.4 billion. Over the last 100 years, Pentecostal believers has grown so fast, it's grown in 100 years what it took the, the religion of Islam to grow in 900 years. Because there's something unique about the Pentecostal perspective. In fact, according to, to, to really smart people who study this kind of stuff, they say Pentecostalism has become the fastest growing family of world Christianity. It is growing at a rate of 13 million a year. That means today, today, 35,000 people are going to come to know Jesus Christ in a Pentecostal full gospel church. Amen? That's wonderful news. The power of Pentecost is still at work in the world today. We may not see it like we used to see it in our churches today, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't moving. In fact, what also is true is that as the, the, the rapid spread of Pentecostal Christianity is happening around the world, by the year 2025, the vast majority of believers will be in what's considered the South, South America, Africa, and Asia. That's where the vast majority of Pentecostal believers will be located. It's amazing how fast it's, it's speeding up. With the rapid growth of Pentecostal Christianity, right now there's a half a billion adherents. After Roman Catholicism, it is the largest Christian tradition in the world. What we are, Pentecostal believers, besides Catholicism, the largest Christian group in the world. Amen? That's good news. It's good news because that means that the power of God is still for today, amen? 
It means that the power of Pentecost, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, no matter how intellectual we become and try to explain them away, are still for today. We don't have to linger and wonder, is it still going to happen? Are we ever going to see a revival again? Friends, it's going to happen. God's not going to leave us out in the end times outpouring, but we better pray like there's no tomorrow. God is at work. So as fast as the world has changed, as fast as all of that has sped through, right, there are some things that still move like molasses, kind of like your kids in the morning when it's time to go to school. This last week, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, of the beginning of the Reformation. On that day, a young German monk by the name of Martin Luther marched up to the Wittenberg Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed his 95 thesis, tradition says, 95 thesis to the door of that church that day. And some of you complain that our sermons are too long with three points. This man had a 95-point sermon of complaints. It's not too much to ask for three. It's taken us five centuries to get from that fateful day to where we are right here and right now. Some things, though, start out like a blazing speed and fizzle out just as fast. Think about junior high romance in that regard, right? There are some embarrassing moments that happen in life that kind of work that way. I'm going to share one of them with you that happened while we were on, on fall break in the woods with the family. We have a blast. We always love it. We ride four-wheelers. We have a great time. While we're out there, every year we, we, we start a campfire, um, not because we need it, because we want to make s'mores, okay? We start the campfire. We're, we're going to do that. We're going to do it on Sunday night. Well, Saturday night, there was this terrible rainstorm that came through, and it dumped two or three inches of rain there at the cabin. Now, not really paying attention that that was going to happen, we didn't pull any wood in under the, the awning or anything to keep it dry. So you can imagine with all of this rain, now the wood is soaking wet, but nonetheless, we're going to find a way to make sure the kids get to have s'mores. So doing what any good red-blooded American would do, there's a smoker out there. I open the firebox and throw some wood in there and try to start the fire. I get kindling, you know, some dried leaves that have dried out over the day. Uh, light them on fire, try to get it, get it going nice, and, nice and, 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 and hot. I put some logs in there, and immediately the fire goes out. The wood's just too wet. Not going to take. So we keep trying, and Cade's helping me. We keep trying, and we keep trying. And then I think, okay, Cade, and this is what I tell him, listen, your mom's inside. Don't you tell her what I'm about to do. Some of you already know where this is going. So I do what every red-blooded American ought to do. I go get the gas can. So I go back to the firebox with wood in it, and I pour gas on it, and it didn't take. There was still coals in the firebox. I pour gas on it, nothing. So I close the end, open the little uh, air trap to let the air flow through, stick the the, the flamethrower, so, you know, the lighter, the long lighter, threw it, and as soon as I do, it's not a little bit, it's a <laughs> I had more hair before I went than I did after that moment, you know what I'm saying? So it's burning, and as soon as everybody inside sees the fire shine, they come out, oh, you got the fire ready. No, 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 no. Hang on. 
Don't get everything out just yet. And as fast as they got out there was as fast as that fire went out. Because it burned up the gas and not the wood. So, bound and determined, I decided we're going to have a fire. So I grabbed the gas can again. Fire going, and I start pouring gas on it. You know, it goes up. And as I realize, hey, this is going to be a real problem, I'm pulling the gas can away while the flame is chasing the fuel. <laughs> Quickly kind of whip it while it gets enough separation. It doesn't explode in my hand. Cade is dying laughing at his daddy about to wet his pants trying to not blow up on the porch. But the fire's going. It's raging now. Not just raging inside of the firebox, but everywhere that the gas dripped on the, on the outside area of the deck. It's all on fire now. So I, I very quickly do a little stomp dance real fast and get that put out. Make sure we don't set the cabin on fire. That would have been nice. But what happens? Fire goes out again. It lasted a little longer. The wood was a little charred, but still didn't take. So I look at Cade and I said, we're going to try this one more time. This is why you don't play with gasoline and fire, okay? You understand me? Don't do what I'm doing. Do what I say. I grab the gas can, do it all again, hurry up and get it blown off so we don't blow up the gas can. But this time, there was enough fire going that it kept the wood burning. So quickly, we get everybody out there, we make s'mores. In between getting all of it going, you know, while, while the gas is going, I'm leaning down by the, by the vent holes and I'm blowing lightly through there to keep the embers going, right? Trying to keep the fire going, keep the, some air moving on it uh, so that it finally takes. Well, finally, we've got fire, we've got s'mores, everybody's happy. I didn't die, so I'm happy. I uh, didn't have a gas can blow up on my hand, so I'm very happy. Uh, Cade got to see some real fun with gas and fire, so that was a lot of fun. We made memories. That night, the fire didn't last a long time. We closed everything up because there was smoke everywhere. Wet wood, when it finally starts to burn, produces just a tremendous amount of smoke. So, you know, between, you know, wiping the tears out of your eyes from the smoke, we made s'mores, we closed it all up so we could still enjoy time out on the deck that night. The thing that was ironic to me is the next morning when I got up early, like I typically do, I got up early and went out on the deck to have some prayer time with the Lord. Out of the smokestack, there was still smoke rising the next day. I opened the firebox. There was not much fire burning at all. There was a few coals that were still a little red, but there was not a fire raging. From that day, the Lord really impressed upon me some lessons that I want to share today in, in this message. Because I feel like many of us walk through that same journey often in our Christian faith. We want to be on fire for the Lord, but it seems like we keep giving him wet wood and it doesn't seem to go anywhere. We know what it's like to have experienced the fire of the Lord, if you will, and that Pentecostal experience, but yet at the same time, we seem to, to not have that fire burning quite as hot or quite as bright in our lives anymore. And so today, though I'm not a Boy Scout, I did learn some lessons about dealing with fire in a fire, uh, fireplace that I want to talk about today. Number one, you have to fan the flame. You have to fan the flame. See, at Salvation, there's a spark that's placed within each and every one of our hearts and every one of our lives. It's representative spiritually of what took place physically and was demonstrated in the Old Testament when they built the Ark of God. 
when they built the Ark of God, there was um, the mercy seat was built out of solid gold with two cherubims that were facing each other. And from the midst of that, God said, from there, I will speak to you as the high priest about my people, and, offer, and you can offer uh, sacrifices for forgiveness. And from there, from that place, the, the mercy seat is where I'm going to speak to you. Well, today, that mercy seat, we are the tabernacle. We are the temple of God, and he dwells within us as believers. And so from that standpoint, we're having that same kind of experience. There's a fire that's supposed to be burning there from the fire of God that's represented inside of us. God's presence rests there. So his spark lives because the Holy, lives in us because the Holy Spirit lives in us as his seal of our salvation until that great day of his salvation, according to Ephesians 1.13. So because of this faith, it's in us. Because of the faith we have, it's taking place in us. We have to not just keep the fire burning, but we have to fan the flame. I want to look at a passage of scripture here that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 5 through 7, he said this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Did you catch the phrase there that leapt out at me? The phrase that leapt out at me was from verse number six, where it says, this is why. This is why. Other translations say, therefore. Other, trans, uh, uh, other ones say, for this reason. Therefore. For this reason. What's the reason? Because of the faith that lived in your grandmother, that lives in, in your mother, and now I'm convinced lives in you. For this reason, fan into flames the spiritual gift of God. Fan the flame. Because the faith is in you. Because it's there. It's present. We've got to keep the fire going. We've got to, uh, it's much easier to keep it going than it is to start it again. Uh, a fellow Christian minister told me one time, he said, Travis, it's much easier to keep character than it is to recover it. In the same way, it's true, it's much easier to keep the fire going than it is to restart it after it's died out. We've got to keep the fire going. We've got to fan it into flame. Paul wasn't telling Timothy, look, you used to be this. You used to be on fire. You used to walk with the Lord. You used to know him. That's not what he was saying at all. He was telling him, hey, you have faith. The faith that you have is a solid foundation. It's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. It lives in you. Because it does, fan the flame. Fan the flame. Because it's present, you've got to keep it moving. Don't let it go out. Don't let it dwindle. Don't let it get soaked. The time to keep that spiritual fire burning is before it goes out. Don't let it dwindle and die. You know what's really hard to do? Take a fire that's out and make it go again. It's really difficult to do that because we've got to fan the flame. And as we fan the flame, we've also got to feed the fire. You've got to feed it. It takes things. Every fire has to be fed. And it takes three things to sustain the fire. It takes oxygen, it takes fuel, and it takes heat. Oxygen, fuel, and heat. We can't start a fire without some solid fuel source for it wood, something that's combustible that will burn. You have to have a fuel source. 
Sure, we can use small flashpoint moments to get it going or to, quick, uh, or to quickly add a shot in the arm spiritually to it, but it won't sustain it. Without a solid food source, we're, gonna have, we're not going to keep it going for very long, and that's just the truth. You know what's really difficult to do? Go from Sunday to Sunday and have spiritual moments on Sunday and Sunday and live in this world Monday through Saturday. We have to have an ongoing uh, a fuel source that gets added to it. It adds a small amount of heat when we have these flashpoint moments, but the process is not enough to sustain it. The Word of God is the solid fuel source. 1 Corinthians 3.2 says, I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. And this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. I want to feed you more. I want to give you better. But you know what? You're a bunch of babies. I'm glad that's in Corinth and not at harvest, Amen. You guys can handle it, but we've got to keep the fire going. In Hebrews, it said this. It said, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, but instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. Verse 14 says, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. We've got to learn to to sustain ourselves on the Word of God. It is the solid food source that we need, amen? You see, without solid fuel sources, solid food, we're going to end up running from one emotionally charged experience to the next emotionally charged experience. And without an emotionally charged experience, we're going to feel like there is a deficit in our life. We kind of become like this, spiritual drug addicts looking for the next spiritual fix. God doesn't want us to live that way. God wants us to live a sustained, spiritually growing life because we have to grow spiritually and mature past flashpoint moments. You see, that night, the kindling, the, the leaves, the dried leaves and the uh, little sticks, they went up really fast without any added fuel source because they dry out really fast. But the solid food, it lasts a long time and it has to be prepared. So not only do you have to have fuel, but you have to add oxygen. Well, what is oxygen spiritually? It's prayer. Prayer is to the spirit what breathing is to the body. I'm going to say that again because I want you to get it. Prayer is to your spirit what breathing is to our body. So we've got to learn to breathe deeply on a daily basis in prayer. Notice I didn't say we needed to breathe for a long time. I didn't say we needed to pray for a long time. We've got to breathe deeply. The thing is, your lungs, your lungs can only hold so much air. Continuously breathing in and never exhaling isn't good because it cuts off the oxygen flow to your brain. Everybody just try it real fast. Breathe in and go as long as you can just breathing out in and not exhaling. Go ahead, try it. Doesn't last very long, does it? Because eventually, if you're still trying to breathe in, your lungs can't take any more and you have to stop. Guess what? When we pray, we are breathing in. We are taking it in. And eventually, if we don't breathe that out so that it infects the world around us, we stagnate and we're hanging on to something that the world needs. Breathing in is so we have the oxygen, the nourishment that we need spiritually to make a difference in our world. If we're praying, we've got to connect with others. In the same way that exhaling is a part of it, uh, we, we have to breathe, 
We have to breathe in and breathe out. It's a balancing act that God designed our lungs to do autonomously. We breathe in, we take in what we need, and we breathe out. That's the way our bodies work. When we pray and we connect with God in prayer, not just have prayer activity, there are a lot of people that pray and they talk and they talk and they pray and they pray and they pray, but they're never connecting with God. When we pray and connect with the Lord, when we've been depleted after we've used that, we pray again. That's why we need to learn to pray every single day. It's why we need to learn to pray multiple times a day. It's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to pray constantly because we're breathing out. Could you imagine if you breathed in once a day and tried to make it all day that way? It's not going to work very well, is it? Things are going to get awful tough. We've got to breathe in and we've got to breathe out. We've got to pray and then we've got to use that. We've got to do something with it. The third piece to the puzzle of, of a fire is heat. It's not something that we can create on our own. That heat source is not something you can generate. The heat source, it, it comes from accepting Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. The Bible makes this part really, really, really plain in Hebrews 12, 29, when it says, for our God is an all-consuming fire. All-consuming fire, not, not somewhat, not a little bit, an all-consuming fire. Some versions say that he is a devouring fire, consumes everything that there is. It's not something that we get to pick and choose what part the fire is going to burn. I have never in my life seen a fire burn in a building that you got to pick and choose what parts of the building it burned. Once it starts, it consumes every area. We don't get to control how intensely it's going to burn. Why? Because like my house, I have a fireplace at home, and I learned this lesson. We have a flow valve on our fireplace. It's really simple. It's a beautiful way that it works. But a flow valve does not work when it comes to the fire of God in our life. A flow valve. I get up in the morning. I go to the fireplace. And I turn the knob until it clicks. That starts the pilot fire, the pilot light. Sometimes that takes a long time to get going. Click, 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 click. And then you know what I do? I say, forget this. I go get the flamethrower. Turn that on and feel like I'm back at the cabin. Let's see how, how fast we can get it hot, right? Then I have this knob that I turn. Do I want it to burn hot or do I want just a little bit? Friends, that's what we've tried to do with God. We, we've tried to, to set it up to where we get to control how much of him do we want in our lives and how much do we not. We try to say, eh, we don't need a lot of the Holy Spirit. You know, my life is going really good. I'm just going to take a little bit. Friends, we need the all-consuming fire of God. We need to not set aside part of it and say, Lord, you can't have this room. There's no fireproof rooms spiritually. Every corner of our heart needs to be infiltrated with God's presence. It's what makes Christianity and the gospel so compelling is that it consumes and is contagious and infectious and wild to the point of impacting everyone's life that it comes in contact with. How do we know that that's true? Let me show you this beautiful verse in Acts chapter 17. It says, when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Did you catch it? What makes an all-consumed Christianity so unique? These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Oh, friends, would to God that that would be what was said about us. Would to God that that would be what is said about me and you and this church and our generation and our city. 
That, that when they look at us, they go, oh no, here they come. The people who have turned the city upside down. Oh, here they come. Look what they've done around the rest of the world. My goodness, what's going to happen when they get here and get involved? Oh my goodness, friends, that the power of God would be on display in our hearts and in our lives because we've given ourselves over to an all-consuming God so that he can consume me and you entirely and completely so that the world can be touched and changed because it's an all-consuming fire that wants to spread like a wildfire. That's the beauty of Pentecost is that it's not containable. You can't say it's going to stay here and then this local church no, my friends, when we get caught on fire and we get outside these church walls, it spreads to one and to another. And the next thing you know, you've got full-blown revival on your hands that you can't contain it all. Why? Because the fire of God moves that way. I'm tired of hearing, let me just be gut level honest here for a minute. I'm tired of hearing about how great revival is around the world. I'm tired of hearing how explosively the church is growing around the world. And I'm ready to see it happen right here at 40th and South Penn so that our city and our community, our kids and our grandkids can know what it is to know God. Oh, I'm tired of hearing about what used to be. I'm ready to see it for myself. I'm tired of hearing about the way we used to experience God, and I'm ready to enter in and usher a generation in to experience God. I want it to happen today. I want it to happen in us. But we have to fan the flame. When I was a, a young minister, I heard a hero of the faith share this story. Many of you may know who Pastor Brian Jarrett is. Pastors at church in Dallas, thousands of people attend his ministry. We used to have him come to Crossroads to do youth meetings way back when. And I'll never forget, he'd become a good friend at that, that season. And I'll never forget Brian telling this story about his granddad. He lived with his grandfather for a season of his life. He was a Pentecostal holiness preacher. They lived in the backwoods area of Arkansas. And every morning... His granddad would get up and add wood to the wood fire burning stove that they used to heat the house and to cook on as well. He would get up in the morning and there would just be a few coals left, still going from the night before where they had the fire going to keep the house warm at night. And his grandfather would get up and go in there and he would open the front of that wood burning stove and he would take some leaves or some some papers or the yesterday's newspaper and he would just begin to set it on there and watch them burn and add some more while that was happening so that the fire would come and he would just begin to blow on it and brian told me he said the first time i watched my grandpa do this i said papa what in the world are you doing because he opened the front of it and just began to blow real gently real easy he said, Papa, that fire ain't going to burn. Papa looked at him and said, Brian, you just watch. It's been burning all night long and it's still burning. Next thing you know, you see the flicker of that coal that's still hot and it's still there. And he said, see, I told you, Brian, watch. Reach over and grab that newspaper. Set the corner of it on that coal. You watch him? Newspaper starts to go up in flames. Just lays it right there on top of that coal as it's burning. He 
So Brian, hand me that little log there. Sets that log inside the fire. Still blowing, still breathing. The next thing you know, you hear the pop and the crackle of the wood as it's getting hot. Pop and the crackle is the good sign. That means it's working out all the things that aren't supposed to be there. All the hot air that was in it, that didn't need to be in it, all the bugs, all the junk that it has soaked up over time, it's popping and crackling because it's getting out because the heat's getting to it. He would close it and open the breather on the front of it and say, Brian, you watch it? Brian, you wait? Wake up, boy. Watch. That's it. He would get up, turn around, go over, get the pot of water, the coffee grounds, been prepared by Grandma, set them on top of that wood-burning stove and say, Brian, we're going to have coffee in about five minutes. Papa, that fire ain't even going. Oh, yes, it is. You watch. He knew what Brian didn't know, that it only took one hot coal and a willingness to allow the wind of God to blow over it. Oh, friends, that today, that one hot coal, you may feel like in your life, there's nothing but wet wood. You may feel in your life like there's no coal that's left of what God used to do. Oh, you may feel like there's, there's nothing left. When you look back on, on what used to be and what God used to do in your life, you may feel like there's not even one coal left to get the fire burning again, and you'll never again know what that movement of Pentecost was like. You may never feel like it's going to happen again, but friends, I'm here to tell you, as long as there's one hot coal left burning, that the wind of God, when he breathes on it, it can set it aflame. And once again, you can enjoy the warmth of the fire of that Pentecostal movement in your heart and in your life. And today could be that day. Oh, friends, that today we would step back and say, God, do it again. Breathe on me. Do you know what my fear is? That we're so used to a microwave. We're not willing to wait. We're not willing to wait and say, God, breathe on me. We're so used to sticking the pancakes in the microwave in a minute, 20 seconds, having something used to take hours to create because you had the process to work. We want to rush the process, friends. It doesn't work that way. We've got to allow the wind of God to breathe over us again. Would to God that there would be an awakening in us. Would to God there would be an awakening among us that says, do it again, God. I've heard of your great fame. Do it again. Renew it in our day. Friends, today, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know if you know the Lord. I don't know if you've walked away from it because that fire seems to have gone out and you're going, there's no way. It must have just been a fad. It must have just been a momentary emotional experience. Oh, but if there's a but God moment coming, could it happen today? Oh, that the fire of God would breathe over us and take that one small spark that's still there and fan that into a full-blown flame and engulf us once again so that we cannot contain it. Every head bowed and every eye closed.
Jesus today. God, would you breathe over us one more time? God, today, I don't know what each and every person is facing. But I know your sovereign and your grace is great. And it's so much greater than my sin. So, Lord, for the one that's far from you, would you draw, would you draw them close? And for the one who hasn't felt your presence in so long and has wondered if the fire's gone out, Lord, would we be willing to say, breathe on us? Breathe on us, Lord. Come on all over the room. Would you just begin to lift up your voice? cry out to the Lord and say, God, do it again in me. God, we've heard about what you did before. God, I was there. God, I've been to Brownsville. I've seen an outpouring of your spirit. God, do it again at 40th and Penn. It doesn't have to look or feel like Brownsville. It doesn't have to sound like Brownsville. Lord, as long as you're in it, I'm good. Breathe over us. Come on, just begin to ask the Lord to breathe over you. Let the wind of the Holy Spirit breathe across us today. God, do it again. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. Oh, come on, press in. Jesus, do it again. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. Jesus. Friends, if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm far from God. My relationship with the Lord is not what it once was, or maybe I don't know Him. Man, I haven't walked with the Lord. I've not talked with the Lord. My relationship with Him is, is very, very far. And today you want to recommit your life to Him. Would you slip up a hand? Is there anybody here today? I'm looking left to right. Anybody at all? All right. How many of you are here and you'd say, Pastor, I want God to breathe on the coals of my spirit and again see a fire begin to take place in me. If that's you, if that's you, you're ready for God to breathe over you, would you slip up a hand? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the elders to come. Fran, if you would go ahead and change to the altar light setting. Here's what I want to do, friends. We're going to turn this into a place of prayer. Your kids are just fine. They've got them taken care of. We're not in a hurry. Today, could we turn this into a place of prayer? If you need prayer, we want to invite you for that. But today, we want you to receive what only God can do and we're asking for the Lord to do it. Let's not be in a hurry. If you raised your hand and said, I want the Lord to breathe over me, I want you to begin to make your way this way as we all stand across the room, all across the room. Would you please stand to your feet? And if you raised your hand and said, I want God to breathe over the coals of my heart, 
what I thought were ashes, he can turn into a raging fire again. Man, if that's you, I want you to get out of your seat and begin to come around the front. You don't have to kneel at an altar. You can kneel at a bench or a pew and say, Lord, do it again. If you want someone to agree with you, these elders are prayed up full of God, and today they want to agree with you for God to pour out his spirit on us again. Amen? If you raised your hand, come on, begin to get out of your seat and make your way this way. They're going to lead us in worship, and as we worship, let's turn it into a place where God can infiltrate and fill us with his presence. Amen? Come on, if you raise your hand, begin to make this way. We want you. Come on, who else? More and more. Come on, who else? More and more, we want you, more and more, we want you, more and more, we want you, more and more, more. asking the Lord to again breathe on us. 